Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Full Stack Journey podcast, where we talk about the ongoing evolution of the IT professional and the journey of learning that stretches across the full stack of technologies in today's modern data center stack. As always, my purpose here on the podcast is to share practical, usable, actionable, real-world information on various technologies and products across the full stack of the modern data center. And to help me accomplish that, I bring in guests who are experts in these areas, and we chat for a while about what you can do to learn these technologies or get started applying them in your own environment. I really appreciate you all joining us today. This is our first episode with multiple guests, so I'm very excited. And uh, joining me on this episode, I have Dave Strabel and Sasha Rosenbaum, both with Microsoft. Dave and Sasha, thank you guys both for joining me on the podcast today. Dave, why don't you uh, start out by just providing a quick uh, sort of introduction and background, and then we'll let Sasha do the same before we jump into our topic. Yeah, so my name is Dave Strabel. Uh, I currently work for Microsoft on our global black belt team. So what this is, I focus primarily just on open source software and making our customers successful using open source solutions on Azure. Previous to Microsoft, I worked on the customer side for about 10 years and came heavily from a VMware storage background, but kind of moved more towards the development over the last three years. Hey, and I'm Sasha Rosenbaum. I'm also an Azure Global Black Belt at Microsoft. I work on our cloud infrastructure team, but I actually have the opposite trajectory. I came from a developer background. I came to the U.S. by way of two countries. I was born in Ukraine, and I um, grew up in Israel. I have a computer science degree from Technion in Israel, and then I worked as a developer, then as a consultant, and then I started working with Azure in the Azure early days and kind of progressed moving into infrastructure because it came along with the cloud. You can find me on LinkedIn as Sasha Rosenbaum and on Twitter as DivineOps. Perfect. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. So I have to just say before we move on that the idea of uh, being called, you know, like a global black belt as your job title is, is pretty cool. I mean, I don't know. Did you guys like, choose that? Like, Sasha, was that, you know, something you got to choose or that was assigned for you? Oh, absolutely. We got to choose it. And we, I actually wanted to be a part of this team since I joined Microsoft. A little known fact, we had to pass a martial arts exam. Not really, <laughs> but it, it's a really fun team because we cover all of Americas and we get to talk to a lot of people and kind of talk about best practices, architecture. It's just really, really uh, a great place to be. That's perfect. Thanks. Um, I, I, I do think it's cool to be called a you know, global black belt. So anyway, uh, maybe you guys should do like, you know, a technology martial arts exam or something of that nature for new team members get to come on. All right. Before we get into the main topic and what we're talking about today, um, listeners, in case you hadn't guessed, is, is Microsoft Azure, um, because both Dave and Sasha, that's their area of expertise. And before we actually get into that topic, I was just wondering if, if each of you would just help me work through some, some thoughts here. I, I've been watching how the IT professional is evolving. And, and, and in some, re- some cases, this is what's driven the creation of this podcast and, and, and where I go with it. But I see this trend of being forced, some say, back into the, the sort of the role of the generalist. I don't know if it's quite the same as a generalist or not, but, you know, that's something for the, the experts to debate. But I see us being forced into having sort of a, a much broader view of our, of our technologies than perhaps we have over the past you know, couple of decades, where we became very, very specialized. And we had people who were you know, only focused on this or only focused on that. And so I was just curious what your guys' thoughts were about how that evolution is happening. And if you think that the sort of the rise of the public cloud, which is 
gained in tremendous prominence and 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 um, and usage over the last several years has a, a role to play there. So, Dave, I'll let you start. I'm just kind of, you know, what do you think about that? Yeah, Scott, I agree partly on the public cloud part. I think it's also part of really the general industry overall trying to move faster, trying to deliver more value through software. Uh, and if you look at every kind of the whole notion of every company becoming a software company, I think that's had to take a different shape in our skill sets, being able to focus on moving faster. Automation, I think, has driven a lot of that. So it, it kind of changes our skill sets, especially from if you're in operations. I think you have to start moving up the stack towards that developer. You don't necessarily have to be a developer, but you start moving up that stack more. And I think even from a developer side, they're kind of moving down the stack a little. Yeah, I, I agree completely with that. I think there's some blending of skills going on. And it's actually kind of a circle, right? Because maybe 40 years ago, uh, if you were in IT, you were dealing with both sides more likely than now than, you know, 20 years ago. And then, yes, definitely, you can see that the shift is more toward development, because we're talking a lot about automation and DevOps, right? And that usually requires development skills. But then developers are also being pushed a little bit into infrastructure, because if you move into the cloud, you have to be exposed to some infrastructural um, ideas and concepts that you previously didn't have to deal with, like networking and storage and uh, high availability for your applications and stuff like that. I also see some some stuff coming out of just basically machine learning automation. For instance, like the jobs of DBAs are being, you know, definitely under risk because you can see that machine learning in Azure, for instance, is making much better recommendations to how you can improve your databases than a DBA can, or at least just as, as good, right? So you definitely see some jobs evolving and maybe even disappearing in that. Yeah, the topic of how machine learning and artificial intelligence will impact um, IT professionals is probably a topic we could we could record an entire episode about, and I might actually do that now that you've given me the idea. Thank you, Sasha. So I'm just curious because because I have you guys, and you guys kind of came from opposite directions. Where Dave, you came out of infrastructure, sort of added some development chops um, later on. Sasha, you were in development, then added some infrastructure operation chops. I'm just curious. I think we all agree that we're seeing. Those folks that are on the lower levels, the infrastructure levels kind of moving up and becoming more application aware and having some greater knowledge and involvement in that layer. And then the folks who are doing the development of the applications moving down and uh, supporting things, you know, having to be aware of, of infrastructure type of things. I, I'm curious, and, and Sasha, I want you to lead off on this one. Do you find that you guys won't be able to answer because you only know your perspective? But I'll just ask, you know, for, from each of you. How hard was it for you to, and, and Sasha, starting with you, to move from development infra infrastructure, and then Dave, I'll turn it around and say for you, after Sasha's done, how hard was it for you to move from infrastructure into development? Because I think this is something that a lot of the a lot of the listeners are, are wrestling with. Sasha, go ahead. So um, I think it was easy and and not easy at the same time because. Um, I guess it's probably harder to learn development if you come from infrastructure background, but then there's certain challenges that developers are just not used to thinking about. Like when you start development applications, you usually you don't worry about like the storage rack. You just don't networking, right? It's not in a part of your consideration of where your application lives, right? So it, there's all these considerations that you start suddenly need to learn and understand. It, it's 
kind of like a new world and it probably takes a year or two of just getting exposed to different experiences and seeing different things and best practices to absorb that information. It definitely feels maybe less creative than development, but it, at the same time, it's tremendously important. I'm really passionate about DevOps and like I'm part of an organizer team for the DevOps Day Chicago conference. And we talk about this a lot. Like, this is amazing that a lot of teams previously didn't think about the end goal of what we're all doing, right? Our end goal is delivering an application to our customer, right? And everything goes into it because the code in the infrastructure work together to deliver a viable application and has high availability and stuff like that, right? So you can't say, well, this is ops problem now, or this is dev problem now, right? You have to keep in mind where you're going with this. Yeah. And from my perspective, coming from a infrastructure background, I also came from a heavy Linux background. Uh, and I think being exposed to things like bash scripting, it was a little easier for me to get into that developer mindset. It wasn't as scary. So I started getting heavy into especially like PowerShell back in about 2007 uh, using PowerCLI. Uh, I think the first book I started with was, I believe his name was Hal Rottenberg. He put out this PowerCLI book and I started looking at like automation and all that. So that's when I started like realizing how our lives could change as operations and infrastructure people and kind of evolved from that. The struggle I did have you know, a few years ago when I started really heavily looking at the development side, I always thought, oh, I'm going to be this great developer and I got to learn all this code. And then I realized you really don't have to from that side of thing. What you really need to start with is from an automation side and also understanding really your kind of delivery pipeline from a development side. I think that's where people should really start focusing, not just saying, hey, I'm going to be a developer, but focus on that automation and really understanding how an application's delivered to production and know all those kind of the tooling between that. Once I started realizing that, that I didn't have to go learn like C or C Sharp, it made it a lot easier on me to go down that path of getting into a developer mindset. That, that's perfect. And I, I can share, you know, relate to some of the, the struggles that you went through, Dave, because I'm on my own journey of coming from infrastructure operations, trying to add some developer chops and trying to extend my automation orchestration skills. So yeah, I can, I can certainly relate with that. So that's the perspectives you guys have shared is, is perfect. And um, I think that will really help the listeners because we have listeners who are coming from, you know, this infrastructure operations side and are hearing from all these people, you need to learn this stuff, you need to become more familiar with this, et cetera, et cetera. And at the same time, we have developers who are being told, hey, now you have to manage some cloud infrastructure, so you need to know about networking, you need to know about storage, whatever. That's uh, that's great. Thank you both. Appreciate that. Let's let's dive into the main topic, which is providing some, some real-world guidance and, and suggestions for users who are wanting to get started using uh, using Microsoft Azure. I, I was chatting a little bit with, with Sasha before the, uh, we got started on the podcast, and we were talking about, you know, sort of the big cloud providers, they, they, they all kind of, you know, have some very similar constructs in terms of the services that they use and the basic building blocks that they use. But there are differences in implementation and choices in terms of how it's put together. Um, and of course, everybody has their own background. And so that may make it easier or harder for some folks to pick up certain providers or, or other providers, whatever the case may be. Let's get started with kind of thinking about if you were talking to somebody 
and, and we'll go through this, this two rounds. So the first round, I want you to think about this from the perspective of somebody who they're an IT professional, they're, you know, they're smart. They know what they're talking about in the on-premises world, but they're just kind of putting their feet out in the public cloud world and they, and they want to get started with Azure. What would you tell them? You know, what are some resources or some places to start that might help them get their hands sort of around that? And, and then Dave, you, you kick this off and then Sasha, you, you pick up after he's done. Yeah. So for really getting started with Azure, probably the best resource I recommend it to everybody is in our Azure documentation, we have what's called a scaffolding guide. So this gives you some recommended practices, gives you some insights in how accounts are laid out and how your subscriptions, how identity works, how uh, resource groups work, all those first things that you need to do before you get started. And that's where a lot of people do get confused is how all that's laid out or how it should be laid out. So I always recommend people really get started with that guide because it will give you a much better understanding when you get started and going forward. And then from there is really the Azure Architecture Center. This is going to give you a lot of different guides on uh, recommended practices for deploying services. So always start with those basic services, kind of those foundational services, such as uh, security and identity, networking, and storage. I think you really have to have a good balance of those and really understand those first before you get started into all the other services Azure offers. Once you really understand those, uh, you'll really have a better path forward in really understanding Azure and being successful with it. And I absolutely agree with you. This this is important. Like the governance and um, layout of uh, accounts and subscriptions is incredibly important. But so what I like is getting started with hands-on experiences, right? So if you just look up kind of as you're getting started, what immediately comes up is Microsoft Docs and they have guides for like kind of very basic tasks. Like if you wanted to launch a virtual machine or if you wanted to launch a functions serverless application, stuff like that. So like very basic tutorials to getting started with different services. You can have a trial account for free so you can play with this. I think now it's extended to about 12 months and a lot of services come for free or for included in that 12 month subscription. So you can do that. There's Microsoft Virtual Academy that is free. It's got free online courses for getting started with different topics, and they have excellent content for some things. If you have a subscription to Pluralsight, there's also getting started Azure courses that are very good, that are recorded by industry experts on Pluralsight as well. And Scott, to add to Sasha's on the Pluralsight, that is a good one to point out there because Microsoft has also offered, there's some courses that are free on Pluralsight that are really good with getting started. And you can get to those from the Azure documentation. Uh, I believe under the Architecture Center, it has a link to the free Pluralsight courses. Well, I'm sure listeners would enjoy free. Uh, no doubt about that. <laughs> um, so, you know, there's a couple things that I heard there that I wanted to sort of call out for listeners and and just share from my own experience. When I, when I got started in the public cloud world, I started with Amazon for various reasons. I was using AWS first. And um, and so when then when I came back to say, okay, um, I'd like to become more familiar with Azure, um, I found that some of the sort of the concepts and the way that I had molded my thoughts about public cloud providers with the way Amazon worked 
really presented some roadblocks coming into so Azure. So I want to go back and look at this again. Like if you're, if you're getting started, what would you change or what would you add to that list that you provided? And, and by the way, the scaffolding guide sounds really, really good. Something that I struggled with when I first got started. But what would you add or what would you what would you change if you were talking to somebody who was coming in and saying, okay, I'm already pretty familiar with AWS or I'm pretty familiar with GCP or you know, maybe it's a, a digital ocean or, or something else of that nature. Would you change your answer a little bit if if that if you were talking to somebody who was already familiar with a public cloud provider and now wanting to extend their skills in, into Azure? Um, Sasha, what do you think? Yeah, so we actually have a great answer to that um, because we have both online documentation and uh, training courses for Azure for AWS experts because we realize that a lot of people out there are familiar with AWS specifically. So there's a self-paced web course, which is about three days long. And that is free. If you want a classroom experience, there is a number of partners that are delivering the same course. It's uh, specifically targeted at you knowing already the AWS structure and architecture. And then there's just a mat- some material online that outlines some of the differences and then basically a glossary that translates the terms from AWS to Azure. Yeah, that, that glossary would have been really helpful because I, <laughs> I had the, the terminology from AWS down and, and I, I started logging into the Azure portal and I'm like, what, huh? Is this like, a, oh, okay, so that's sort of like a this. Okay, right. So that, that's good. And listeners, we'll put links to the, a lot of the resources that Dave and Sasha are mentioning in the show notes uh, when we publish the episode so that you'll have access to those and uh, can use those for your own learning benefit. But I want to toss that out to you, Dave. Anything that you would add or change if we were talking to somebody who was already an expert in another platform? Uh, no, Sasha really covered uh, where I would get started if I was coming from AWS, because I actually came more familiar with the AWS platform than the Azure platform when I joined Microsoft. Uh, so I think what I had to learn was really the different services, how those compared, what the differences were, and then really dove into those services that I was going to use and focus on and understand the different limitations in those services compared to AWS, where there might be added features, where there may be less features. Sure, sure. That makes uh, that makes perfect sense. So I'm, I'm going to digress just a little bit here. I, I was, I'm, I'm curious because the, the, the pre-podcast conversation has planted an idea in my head. So Dave, you, you said you came from a strong Linux background and then that you started with AWS first, um, which um, is sort of a lot like what, what I did. And then Sasha, I think you come more from a, a Windows background, it sounds like. So I'm, I'm curious. I, I have this thought that sometimes people find it easier to learn AWS if they come from a Linux, Unix background and they find it easier to, to learn Azure if they come from a Windows background. I'm, I wonder if you guys think, am I, am I totally crazy or does that actually make sense based on your own personal experience? Dave, you first. So, you know, I kind of had that same notion too when I first got started with Azure. I think that's changed and the tooling's changed a lot over the years. That's made it a lot easier for people that maybe come from an open source background, that that same tooling's there, the same SDKs are there. So it's improved a lot for that experience. And I think it just comes back to kind of what people know. Uh, for me, like if we take this back to any technology, let's say from like a VMware, I was so comfortable with that. Some of the same concepts are the same in uh, say Hyper-V, but just the difference in technology. I think once you understand what those different constructs are and how they actually relate, it makes it a lot easier. And I think it just comes from, a a lot of times it comes from the pre-notion that 
Microsoft was proprietary and that it was only focused on Windows. So I think it's greatly improved over the last couple of years and is only getting better. I agree with that. I still feel like we we do have some stuff that, you know, we roll out Windows features first before Linux features, but largely the platform is very OS agnostic, so you can run both. I think that the constant struggle that I face is, is the personal computer struggle, really, because I, there's some things that are really, really good about, you know, running personal computing on Windows. And then when you do that, then trying to control Linux VMs is still a struggle, despite like all the improvements that have been made recently. And that's just like in, in the way that operational system, operating system is structured, right? Because Linux is document-based versus Windows is executable-based, which is actually making Windows automation harder than Linux automation. So there's different, just different considerations, different struggles that come with both of them. But Azure is definitely very open source. And we see um, like 60% of new VMs, I believe, that are being deployed on Azure over the last year were Linux VMs. So just kind of a another little known fact that maybe not everybody is aware of. Uh, that's cool. I think I had seen that, that statistic somewhere before, but thanks for bringing that up again. Yeah, so I, I do agree with the kind of the thoughts that both of you shared. I mean, certainly when you go to learn a new technology, it's shaped by what you have known previously. So if you spend a lot of time in a, a Unix, Linux type world, then that that's kind of shapes what you what you do. And if you come up in a Windows world, then, you know, that's that shapes what you do as well. But I have found just anecdotally from the outside, seeing a lot of the things that Microsoft and, and the Azure team doing around open source and support, uh, more cross-platform support. So I'm encouraged by that um, versus, you know, sort of the, the quote-unquote old Microsoft, but we don't need to get into that. Okay, so continuing ahead, um, a quick one here. Uh, what do you guys prefer? I'm, I'm a huge CLI fan. What do you guys prefer as the, the or what would you recommend as the, the, the CLI of choice for somebody getting into Azure? Would it be the Azure CLI or should they be looking at PowerShell or, or something else entirely. Dave, you kick this one off. Yeah, so I, I'm a Mac user, so I go with the Azure CLI. I think it's just important to go with what you're comfortable with. If you come from a knowing PowerShell, I think you'll be very successful with using PowerShell. I kind of like the Azure CLI. It's multi-platform. Uh, it's just very straightforward and natural for me. So I think it comes down to kind of personal opinion and your background. But if you do have that PowerShell background, then you probably will use PowerShell. I think this is like some a bit of a religious question, right? And it's it's all about like which operating system you grew up with. <laughs> and I think both of them are very, very powerful. I think so PowerShell has some added benefits when it comes to so like you, you can run C sharp from within PowerShell. So like if you are coming from a developer background, sometimes PowerShell has some strength that CLI wouldn't have. But if you're running on Mac or Linux, you definitely want to run Azure CLI and not PowerShell. If you are controlling Linux VMs, you might prefer running um, Azure CLI as well. So it kind of each each task and its own tool. I do think that if you're just just getting started, I would even honestly explore the UI. And maybe that's you know I I don't know I I am a big believer in user experience, and I know that Linux people live in the in the shell, but I feel like 
you kind of get a better feel for what the concepts are like and what the architecture is like if you play with a with a portal a little bit too. You know, that's a, that's an interesting point, Sasha. And you guys are both right in terms of use the tool that you're most comfortable with, use the tool that fits best into your environment. Um, so that would largely dictate whether you use Azure CLI or PowerShell. I could potentially see some benefits from from doing some scripting in PowerShell since it tends to be a little more you know, flexible that way as opposed to, you know, a command line utility where we have to parse output and that sort of thing. But um, again, use the tool that you're most comfortable with. But I think the thing that I wanted to, to really talk about is sort of this this challenge about UI versus CLI. And especially as it pertains to sort of a topic we're going to dig into in just a moment, and that is the relationship between sort of really taking advantage of public cloud services and honing your own automation orchestration skills. I guess one of the things I struggle with is I, I kind of jump in on the deep end and say, okay, I'm going to start with the CLI from the very beginning. But it sounds like maybe, Sasha, you'd recommend, you know, if you're, if you're really just getting started, focus on getting the concepts down via the UI first, you know, through the Azure portal, and then maybe follow on with some CLI and automation stuff later on. Is that, is that, is that accurate? I think so, because I think most people are visual, Right. Even if you look at statistics, like people respond much more to images than they respond to like written content. It just kind of gets you into the visual feel of things and kind of a little bit into comprehending their structure. But but again, I know people who live in Vim, Vim and maybe it's a famous joke that they just don't know how to exit. But <laughs> no, I, I don't think, you know, I, I, I have to say, I think exiting Vim is not that hard. So anyway. OK, Um but uh, Dave, I don't know, you um, You might have a different perspective to share. What do you, I mean, what do you think? You think it's worth spending some time not worrying about the automation orchestration sort of scale perspective first and spend some time in the UI or, or no? Yeah, I, w- I would have to agree with Sasha on there. Yeah, spending some time in the UI, I think, is helpful to users to kind of understand all the different services. Um how those are deployed, things like that, or it's really beneficial, but I would go quickly to the CLI. I think once you get down that path, you become much more efficient with managing Azure. Okay. All right. Perfect. Uh, so I, you know, I just have to share, I'm, I'm picking up a lot of, of tips that would, ha- would have helped me in my own um, journey and may still, um, since I still have a lot of learning to do, but like all the major cloud providers, there's a, there's a ton of services out there that are available. And that might seem a bit sort of overwhelming for, for folks who are getting into this. Um, if you had to give them, here's where you should start and then move to this. Can, can you kind of give listeners a rough framework of, you know, start with these areas and then move into these areas because they build on the first. Uh, I don't know. What do you think, Dave? Yeah, I think it's going to depend partly on your persona in uh, your organization. So if you're coming from the operations side, I would always say really focus on the security identity, network storage, then virtual machines, and really understand those. Even if you're going to be using, say, PaaS services within Azure, I would still focus on those to get uh, a good grip around those and then move into some of the, the higher level abstracted services like App Service, which is our platform as a service, Azure Container Service, and kind of grow from there. Where you, you, the developer side, you may come in and really start focusing really on like app service to begin with. So I think it's really dependent on your different persona, but I think we always should have a good base in those foundational services. 
I, I would second that. And I think, so basically, if you're going into Azure, you should probably look at networking and storage concepts. In, in, in just a couple of hours, you can probably understand how the things are laid out, how they're isolated between tenants, things like that, right? So you can plan effectively for how your services are laid out. But in terms of what gives you the most bang for your buck, it's definitely past services, right? Because just moving infrastructure to the cloud is usually where people start. But it, it's not what's going to sort of support your innovation. So Azure Container Service, like Dave, Dave mentioned, Service Fabric is our scalable PaaS platform uh, that we can you know, talk for hours about. I am a big believer in app service and Azure Functions. That is just a tremendous level of, if you're a developer, you can get started with this completely easily and it scales for you. It provides high availability for you. You simply don't need to worry about like all the administrative tasks and it's comparatively really, really cheap. So it, it just a tremendous amount of power that comes with it. Our databases, both like SQL database and things like Cosmos DB are just excellent and amazing in, in the features they provide and the ease of use as well. And then the last but not least is like, if you're coming from infrastructure, definitely look at Azure Site Recovery and Azure Backup. Because if you're still using some like tape backup, um, on-premise backup, Azure Backup definitely provides a great cost savings for you. And then Azure Site Recovery, it um, makes DR sites for available for you with like really low RTO and RPO and low cost as well. So it's like the all the advantages in one. And then it provides you a way to migrate to the cloud and even migrate off physical servers. So even migrating off physical servers to virtual machines on-prem is possible with Azure Site Recovery. So that's another thing to definitely look at. Perfect. Okay. You know, there's an interesting sort of thing that I heard out of that, and that is it's almost like if you're coming from infrastructure operations, sort of the, the low-hanging fruit, if you will, is, you know, virtualization, networking, storage, because these are the lingua franca, if we will, of, you know, infrastructure operations folks, right? Um, but if you're coming from the development perspective, it almost just seems like the low-hanging fruit is more like functions, app service, that sort of stuff, because that's more where you where those folks spend most of their time. So there's an interesting sort of dichotomy forming here that I, I have to be honest, I hadn't necessarily considered before just because my own background has been so infrastructure operations um, centric. So that's, that's perfect. And hopefully listeners will, will be able to identify with that, that, uh, that interesting sort of dichotomy. Yeah. So actually to, to add up on that, like my experience was with Azure when Azure first started with like cloud services, which is app services replacement for that, even though cloud services are still alive. And the thing was like, I just, as a developer, I was able to deploy my applications within five minutes to any region in the world. Like that, that's incredibly empowering. And I didn't need infrastructure administrator to manage all that. It just works. Right. So it, if you're a developer, if you're like starting your own startup and want to deliver your own app, that that's just amazing. And and this you know this digresses from the from the agenda just a bit, but I you know I'm curious in, in looking at that. One of the challenges that I always see folks struggling with is that talking to the the developers and and offering them those that low hanging fruit, that super easy path to deploy an application in any region of the world is is you know it's great, it's awesome. Uh, but I'm wondering like how do we how do we effectively bring along 
the folks who have to sort of help manage that, right? Which invariably ends up being the infrastructure and operations folks. And I don't know, Dave, maybe you're better suited to trying to trying to answer this, but having these developer focused offerings is is huge, right? And and we're seeing tons and tons of traction around it. But one of the things I see a lot of folks and a lot of organizations wrestling with is how do we bring along the people that are going to need to help support the deploying of that application? Yeah, so I would say it's a very continuous learning process uh, to get there. Once you already have those foundational skills within there, you start seeing how you can be able to support these higher level abstracts and what areas that you focus on. Because your areas of focus on like past services from an operation standpoint it's not going to necessarily be managing, you know, the storage and network layers in there because those are abstracted from you. So you're going to be moving higher up the stack and maybe focusing on monitoring. How do you provide reliability for those services? How do you provide DR or active-active type offering for those services and starting building those up for developers to consume? And I would say that, so just judging from my experience with my clients over the past few years, so the challenge wasn't usually about infrastructure. So how do we bring in infrastructure professionals to manage this? Because most of it, like like Dave said, a lot of it is just managed for you. However, the challenge is usually around security and chargeback. So when you get security folks involved, they start asking questions that developer, developers can't answer. In, in terms of chargeback, a lot of organizations just jump in and start deploying, and then they don't know who's paying for what. So the answer to that is probably get your infra and security folks involved up front in plan the deployment, right? If you're in a big organization, you definitely want to plan it uh, with that governance in mind. Yeah, that's a good point, Sasha, because I think a lot of it also has to do around the company culture and how they're organized. So are there security engineers brought into the software development lifecycle? Things like that kind of changes the management of these and the focus areas that you have to really focus on and hurdles that you have to get over. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I, you guys can't see it, but I'm vigorously nodding my head at everything you're saying. Um, and, and thank you for clarifying, uh, you know, Sasha, that when we talk about infrastructure operations, you know, yeah, the, the role of the infrastructure, sort of the quote unquote, the infrastructure engineers certainly is changing as, as organizations move more and more stuff into the cloud because they're not responsible for for managing that. That's now that's all that's managed by the cloud provider, but instead they have to begin to assume responsibility for governance and, and uh, you know, uh, economic issues, chargeback, um, you know, billing. And I have to plug in and say, if you are deploying virtual machines in the cloud, the infrastructure people are just as much involved as they would be on-prem. But if you are deploying something like App Service or, say, SQL database, they are not involved because we manage the infrastructure. So there's definitely a dichotomy in here in terms of who manages what and in which case. Oh, oh yeah, for sure. Absolutely. And and the thing to, to, you know, to remind folks about, and I'm sure you guys would agree, is that, you know, as you begin to plug in the various technologies that are available, uh, it's a matter of mapping the right technology to the problem at hand. So you might be using some of these managed services for some cases, and you might be using virtual machines for some cases, and you might be using, you know, a, a container service uh, for, for some things because that's the right tool for the job that you're you're getting in. But the, the key point, you know, to, to pull away for listeners out of all this, I guess, is that because there's this much broader range of services 
those folks who are, who are responsible, who are formerly responsible just for doing infrastructure, now really being pulled in a lot of different directions. And I guess that's kind of, you know, that's kind of the crux of, of what I do here on the podcast is talking about all these different directions that people are getting pulled in. All right. So I want to transition into last question because we're, we're, um, we're starting to run uh, up uh, against time and I don't want to, to keep our listeners too terribly long, but I think they'll enjoy the conversation as I have. We've which touched on this a little bit prior in the podcast, but I want to really dig into it now. And that is the relationship between automation orchestration and an organization or individual really becoming proficient or effective at using public cloud services. And I see those two being, it, it feels as if those two are, are really sort of tightly coupled in that you can get started using public cloud services with deploying virtual machines and then, you know, deploying applications onto those virtual machines and et cetera, et cetera. But it, it feels like in order to really get the most out of your investment when you do that, you really have to change a bunch of different operational models. You have to change your own mindset about how you do things and you really have to embrace automation orchestration. And this is, a, I think, an area where a lot of infrastructure operations folks need to grow and I think where they can begin to, to learn some lessons from developers in terms of leveraging things like version control and that sort of things for their own infrastructure as code type efforts. But I, I just want you guys to, you know, just tell me what you think about that real quick. Um, and, and Sasha, we'll, we'll start with you and then and go on to Dave. All right. Well, um, like I said, I'm, I'm very passionate about DevOps movement. And uh, it's just, I think it's a shift that is happening. It's happening simultaneously like at the same time, not necessarily one is leading the other, the public cloud and automation, but it, it's a general shift towards more efficiency, more cost efficiency, and more reliability, right? And both of these, both public cloud and DevOps help you achieve this. Um, and it's definitely easier to manage cloud resources if you have infrastructure automation. And it's definitely easier to, you know, your life becomes easier, especially in operations, if you are managing, you know, automated procedures and orchestrate your infrastructure and have infrastructure as code and maintain state and all of these nice things, right? I do think that, you know, jobs are switching for sure. And no organization can survive if they're still clicking buttons. I mean, it's just not doable at this in, in this environment now. Uh, so, you know, as much as people may be wanting to hold on to the old stuff, I think the future is clear. Yeah, I, I don't I don't disagree with that. I think that sort of mirrors my own view. I, I avoided bringing in the term DevOps because that has a lot of sort of connotations for folks. Um, but you're a DevOps days organizer, so you can do that. That's fine. <laughs> um, uh, Dave, what do you think? Yeah. So, uh, I think automation, it's been one thing I've been passionate about since I, you know, 2007, when I was first introduced to PowerShell, it makes it so much more efficient in managing your resources. I don't think it, a IT operations should think of it for their on-premises infrastructure and also the cloud. And if you look at some of those concepts that come from more of the development side around version control, putting everything as kind of code. So whether that's infrastructure as code, policy as code, auditing as code, everything should really be written that way so we can have version control. So we can look at the diffs, what our infrastructure actually looked like, you know, a week ago and what changed between those from the automation version control type stuff. 
So I, yeah, I absolutely agree. It's something that I think IT operations really has to focus on. And I think they shouldn't be so scared of it because there's a lot of great tools out there now that they're more like configuration files. You don't have to have a big programming background to get started with these tools. It's going to be a little bit of a hurdle initially, but once you overcome that, you can really understand how much more efficient you can be and really focus on solving tougher problems. And how much less on call, you know, you need to <laughs> incidents you need to deal with for sure. Okay, great. Thanks. Thanks both of you. And, um, you know, I, again, that, that mirrors my own thoughts and, and I've been a big proponent for automation orchestration and telling folks you need to be looking into this. And, and, you know, that's, I guess, just a reminder that I need to get some more automation centric um, topics going here on, on the podcast to, to help the listeners um, further their own, their own educational goals. All right. So let's, let's begin to wrap things up. I wanted to give each of you just a moment to, if there were any sort of closing thoughts that you wanted to share, any final ideas or thoughts um, or resources that you wanted to mention. So Dave, why don't you, um, is, is there anything, you know, that we haven't touched on that you feel like, Hey, I really want to mention this because I think it's important for listeners to know. Oh uh, yeah. So I, I think one thing is start knowing your developers in the organization start understanding those processes. I think, really understanding how an application is developed and actually released and that whole entire process will make you much better from an operations perspective. One other thing would be, you know, kind of just jump in really into Azure, whatever cloud platform you're going to be using uh, and, and really test the waters, kind of experiment with it, see where it can provide value to your business. Uh, and don't really be scared to that you're going to break things, but go in the experiment, fail fast, all those things. It will it'll move you along kind of much faster if you really get in there and get hands on with the technology. All right. And um, OK, I'll use this uh, time for shameless plugs. So I have three. So first of all, please attend DevOps Days conference. There's one in Chicago. There's one in almost every major city in America um, and around the world. And they're super cool. And you get to talk to IT professionals about the problems that actually bother you on a daily basis. So we don't just lecture you. We also allow you for what's called open spaces and ability to just discuss whatever topics you're interested in. Also, we have started on our team, uh, the Global Black Belt team, we started something that's called Azure Ninjas Podcast. Um, it's You can find us at azureninjas.cloud. That's not .com, that's .cloud. And we just released our second episode. So um, we interview folks from Microsoft Engineering about different Azure services. And also, I have uh, a few months ago published a book on Azure Serverless, Azure Functions. So please check it out. And also, so in, in the go-do list, definitely, if you're thinking about, you know, picking up some cloud skills, go do that, whether it's Azure, AWS, GCP, anything. Public cloud is definitely here to, to stay, and you definitely want these skills on your resume. That's perfect, both of you. And and. Sasha, did you say like just a few minutes ago you published one or was that a few months ago? Uh, just a few months ago. Yes. Okay. All right. I thought maybe a few minutes ago you like clicked, okay, publish and it was available. So um, no, that's <laughs> great. All right. So that's, that's perfect. Thank you both for those additional uh, resources. And again, listeners, I'll have links to all this stuff in the show notes. So uh, you can get that uh, after we publish the podcast. 
All right, so let's let's wrap things up. Um, I have to say, Dave and Sasha, both, it's been a fantastic um, show. I have really enjoyed talking with both of you. Um, I've learned a lot, and I'm sure the listeners will as well. Um, as we wrap up, I wonder if you would just uh, share again any sort of, uh, if you're willing, uh, any sort of c- contact information um, for listeners so they could find you online, possibly connect with you, whether that be Twitter or LinkedIn or or you know whatever your platform of choice is. If you have a blog, you can mention that here as well. Um, Sasha, why don't you start? Yeah, I'm on Twitter as DivineOps, so you can find me there. I do have a blog. I haven't touched it in months, so maybe that's my cue to go do that. Yeah, and I'm on Twitter at Dave underscore Strabel, S-T-R-E-B-E-L. And I also blog on Medium at Strabel D. Perfect. Okay, great. Well, thank you both again for being on the show. I am a Really appreciate it. You guys have shared some great information. And again, I think the listeners will will really uh, find that useful. Listeners, thanks for joining us. We are um, thankful that you've taken the time out of your day or your commute or your train ride or whatever it is to uh, listen to us. And we hope that um, we've shared something that has been useful and will help provide some practical and, and real world information that you can put to work in your own career right away. If you uh, have found us off iTunes, we would appreciate you taking a moment to uh, rate us and provide some feedback or whatever platform you use. Um, that'll certainly help other listeners find the podcast and um, also apply this to, to their own careers as well. If you'd like to follow the Full Stack Journey on Twitter, you're, it's available at FSJ Podcast. You can also find me, Scott Lowe, your host on Twitter as uh, Scott underscore Lowe, or you can visit my website, blog.scottlowe.org. As always, um, episodes of the Full Stack Journey are published on the Packet Pushers website at packetpushers.net. If you are interested in sponsoring an episode of the podcast, please feel free to reach out. We uh, would love to have you um, as a sponsor. Thanks again for joining us on the podcast. You guys have a great day. 